0: Welcome to The Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. This is your weekly podcast delivering you the insight, ideas and inspiration to successfully change and transform in our ever-evolving world of retail. Enjoy listening. Hey there and welcome to The Retail Transformation Show. My name is Oliver Banks. I'm a Retail Transformation Specialist. I'm a consultant and advisor helping retailers to understand their ideal operating model and helping to define, develop and deliver the changes that bring that operating model into reality, driving profitability and improved customer experience. Thank you so much for tuning in. This one is episode 198, number 198. Driving retail sales and performance is so important right now, as it always has been. But if there's an opportunity to just squeeze a little bit more out, drive that little bit of extra volume, or perhaps level up the offering and make it more valuable to consumers, then that is, of course, something very tempting to go after. So in today's episode, we're going to be diving into a topic that can help you to stand out in the crowded marketplace grow customer loyalty, and level up your brand. And so today we are talking about leveraging the power of semiotics and signs and symbols and visual branding. Now, this episode is not just for those marketing and brand experts, but I believe this offers huge opportunities around merchandising, around websites, around online apps, and perhaps the metaverse as well. And to help us understand more, I'm delighted to welcome a true expert onto the show, Dr. Rachel Laws. Rachel is a social psychologist and specializes in the interface between individuals, consumer culture, and brands. And she's one of, if not the leading expert in semiotics in the whole world, which we'll get into in a little bit. She's been doing this for 20 years now and has worked closely with both the Market Research Society, driving both training as well as insight papers and thought leadership. But she's also worked with a number of brands, including Unilever, Procter & Gamble, Kraft, Nike, Diageo, and many more. Dr. Rachel Laws has recently authored a new book called Using Semiotics in Retail, Leverage Consumer Insight to Engage Shoppers and Boost Sales. So it's a fascinating conversation going on here, part tactical, but also I'd encourage you to bring your more expansive brain to this particular conversation as we start to think about the future as well towards the end. The show notes are at obandco.uk 198, where you can find out more about semiotics and more about Rachel as well. Plus, don't forget to sign up for the Retail Transformation Briefing, to keep your finger firmly on the pulse of everything that is happening in the changing world of retail. It's my free email newsletter. Sign up for the Retail Transformation Briefing at obandco.uk 198. So sit back, open your mind, and let's learn about semiotics. Here we go. What a very warm welcome to you, Rachel Laws,
1: Thank you so much
0: for inviting me on your show. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. I'm really excited to dive into the topic today. We met at Retail Week Live several weeks ago now, and we we had a a conversation just in the the corridor, so to speak, and it was such a fascinating conversation. So I I thought this whole topic that we're going to be talking about today, semiotics in retail, was just so eye-opening and so important. But Rachel, before we dive into the detail, help bring everyone up to speed, because I certainly wasn't familiar with the word semiotics. What are we talking about here?
1: The word semiotics, it's a useful word. It's taken off in market research and then in wider marketing over the last 20 years, to a large extent driven by the UK as well, which is great. And it's the first definition that you'll ever run into if you work in these kinds of industries is that it is the study of signs and symbols okay so what is a sign or a symbol well it's any small unit of communication that means something so coke is red and pepsi is blue yep and we all can recognize intuitively that those colors add different qualities to the brand consumers can also tell you about it in a focus group right i'll go well red seems like if they're smart they'll say things like red seems like it's got more energy or blue i don't i don't like it for this soft drink but i like it when it's a bank or a tech company you know so what you've got there is the beginnings of semiotic analysis so your customers the members of the public they do semiotics all day all the time they're very media literate they're used to thinking about signs and symbols and so they're going around decoding everything in this kind of a way now i've just mentioned color here which is a really easy way to kind of get to know semiotics right? is to realize that color communicates certain messages to consumers when it's used in your branding. And what's more, the meaning of that color might vary depending on how old your customers are, what generation are they, where are they in the world, what regional cultures are they a part of, are they a member of any subcultures and so on and so on. And so that is the real kind of base level how semiotics is useful for marketing, right? We recognise what we like to call signs and symbols in marketing, which is something that occurs in retail spaces as well as on on company websites and so forth. And we help to make it more successful, more appealing to consumers, easier for people to shop. We do that by helping brand owners and marketers to really get a firm grip on not only the meaning of colour, but the meaning of words, textiles resistant materials how do you dress it with fixture maybe you've got a specific problem to solve like you want to communicate brand architecture so at the most basic bottom drawer level of semiotics this is how it's used when some clients become very experienced and ambitious then you can start to do something called top-down semiotics where you decode the whole of society and explain why why we live in this way. But that might be something we'll get to like, in the
0: conversation. <laughs> Indeed, definitely. And I think it's it's so important because this is all around us as as consumers. This is all around us all of the time. I mean, look at your smartphone. You've got, you know, apps. Each one has got a sign right at the front of it. You know, the app icon itself with a colour as well. And then you go into it, for example, and there's an increasingly large volume of symbols and symbology, Across all the apps and mobile websites, but also full up desktop websites and stores as well. And I'm sure we can all think about times where you've just looked at perhaps an icon or something, and you've just thought, "What on earth is that? <laughs> what it, yeah, I'm looking cool. for? I'm looking for I don't know guides or settings or whatever. Which one is that? I'm not sure. DVD right. menus is my personal pet peeve, <laughs> and Blu-ray that- menus. I can't work out ever what the yeah, symbols definitely. mean. But yeah, that's it's, it's a really interesting topic. What's your favourite use of semiotics, Rachel? Your personal favourite?
1: My personal favourite use is it helps me think. I think that all of us as young people and adults have a lot of questions about what's going on in this world, mm-hmm. you know. Like we kind of need retail, even, even though... But like the culture of younger, younger people is generally left-leaning or liberal-leaning, generally speaking, right? And Or has been in recent years, right? And so that can mean that a lot of them have a certain amount of anti-capitalist feeling, you know? That, so they've got a vision for a better world, but they don't necessarily love large companies, mm. right? And that um, presents large companies with a bit of a problem because some of them really are trying to, to honestly, like, do their bit, you know? And so you've got these interesting situations arise where you've got brands working very hard to convey a certain message that really needs to just land correctly with the consumer in order to, to you know, in order to, to be successful. So these these are, these are sort of puzzles that those of us who work in marketing might encounter every day. Um, it, more generally, we can see that um, there's unresolved puzzles in um In the culture we have now in the West, like, for example, culture wars are a thing now and have been for a few years, you know, there's there's uh, interesting puzzles like why is this happening now is a question that is on my mind all the time. So for me, my personal favourite applications of semiotics are that kind of thing. But the kind of magic of semiotics is that when you think about those questions very deeply, you can make connections between that and whether to colour your soft drink red or blue. And now we're in business. Right.
0: And this is not just about making it look pretty, right? There are some hard results that it can deliver. Tell me more about what sort of performance we can achieve if we really start thinking about this in an expert way. Yeah,
1: that's right. So I met you at Retail Week Live and I was there with a client of mine, Keith Slice, who is Global Director of Shopping Insights at Unilever. OK. And... I have worked with Keith for a number of years, and I've also worked closely with his team members, particularly Iris Kremers and Corinne you in France. So these people, between them, have been responsible for developing a um, tool, which is an app. It's an in-house tool at Unilever, and they call it Shopper Eyes. Okay, And Keith was at Retail Week Live talking about the Shopper Eyes app, right? And what they put in this ShopRise app, it's essentially a kind of fancy interactive checklist, right, for brand managers and people at Unilever who liaise with retail and that kind of stuff, right. So you go through this app and it gives you all these examples of best practice of what you should be doing, right, with your merchandising and your category management and the whole mm-hmm. shebang, right? packaging and the whole bit, you know. They found that this was the use of this app was producing an uplift of sales of around about five percent, okay. This is a conservative estimate, I think, from Keith. Mm-hmm. But they then they found that when they used principles from semiotics, which they get, got from me, that that success rate doubles. So their shopper eyes app can pro- produce, now produces a ten percent uplift. In Keith said easily an like easily an eight to ten percent uplift. Wow. In sales on FMCG brands, because they apply semiotic principles that I handed to them. And are you
0: able to give any specific examples? of some of the projects they've run, just to help help flavour what, what we're talking about here?
1: Yeah, there's quite a nice example in the book. It's a fairly straightforward example, which is good when you're explaining semiotics to people, which concerns Magnum ice cream. So Magnum kind of sits at the premium end of mass market ice creams, you know. It wants to be accessible and within reach, but still a little bit indulgent and special, you know. Yep. And so the time came when the brand mark needed a face wash, I guess. It was just becoming a bit dated, you know. And so Unilever hired a fantastic design agency called Sunhouse and they got me involved and we worked on a committee that also involved a few selected other people from within Unilever to make some decisions about which of Sunhouse's various designs was going to be the right way forward. And this is absolutely typical of the sort of work that I would do with these brands, Mm. you know. And so Sunhouse had generated quite a lot of designs, which if you've ever done any market research, you know that there's only so much stimulus you can put in front of consumers. You know. Yep. So what people can do on their own is agree, this is the best one, we like this one. And what semiotics can do is tell you why you like it. Right, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so there was one new version of the Brandmark in particular, which differed from the original in lots of ways. You know, like it had this kind of embossed effect and what had previously been a very slick and brilliant gold was considerably subdued and more matte mm. you know so what something else it can do is say look the reason why you like this one more is because this lines up with some of the trends that are going on in other areas like look at this in beauty here it is again and here it is in another category you know so that's why you're responding to it because you've seen it used successfully elsewhere it's an emerging thing you know yep so that kind of stuff is what helps to I guess it brings the best of design to the front and centre stage. Semiotics is often very supportive of designers. We rarely disagree with them. We just have some extra language for explaining why things work. And, and that also puts a lot of power in the hand of the brand owner or marketer, which they need to use responsibly, about how to deliver certain messages and meanings to consumers, like this is premium, this is fun, and so on and so on.
0: Absolutely. I think it's so so important and such a massive benefit there in that in that use case. And I'd just like to do, a, I suppose, a shout out to our listeners that perhaps are not working in the product development or the marketing sectors in the, their retail business, because this, I believe, has much wider usage out of those two areas, because more and more so we're starting to see internal applications becoming more more commonplace. We've got a whole load of perhaps change communication that is increasingly visual in its nature, whether it's coming through via a sort of Training apps, or even if it's just communications, etc., there's a huge amount of visual communication going on, not just around the product or around the the branding and the marketing and advertising, etc. So I think this has far-reaching use cases increasingly. So I would definitely say.
1: I do too. I mean, you know, the stuff that I've been saying about about retail with Unilever is certainly making an impact. You know. And especially since Keith's helpfully coming up with these statistics about their sales uplift, you know. But as I mentioned earlier, semiotics in some respects is a game of two halves. Right? There's what I call bottom-up semiotics, which is where we're very zeroed in on specific signs and symbols, right? Here are two brand marks, which one is better, Right. Or, this brand is red and this one is blue, which is the better option? Right? This is what we call bottom up semiotics, where you're decoding individual signs and symbols and giving some names to what they mm. mean. Right? The other half of the game is this stuff, top down semiotics, where you're tackling these larger questions like why are we are having culture wars in the mm. West? Right? It's a really big, hard question. Right? And so, that kind of stuff, if you keep, you've got to keep at it. It's kind of an ongoing project, you know. But it's, it's well, enable you to say refreshing things to clients, including retailers, who are really trying to innovate, to be progressive, to scope out new markets, to plan for their business 25 years into the future. These are all incoming briefs that that people give me to deal with, which, you know, is a joy. But also that semiotics will take you there at the same time as... Telling you, look, if you make a few changes to your fixture, people will understand what's on sale a bit better.
0: Yeah. See what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So, Rachel, I'd like to take a slight pivot in the conversation here, because when we were sort of fleshing out different ideas, we got onto the topic of simulations in everyday life. And actually how stimulations versus simulations Mm. can can really have an impact on our feelings and how we therefore Mm. behave as consumers, Tell us more. What are, what are we talking mm. about when we're talking about a simulation?
1: Mm, those are really really interesting questions. So I'll try to avoid using too much technical language. Semiotics is a we could say it's a research method. Okay, and it emerges from a style of thought or a set of ideas in the Western world which are often called postmodernism. Okay, and Postmodernism is great at pointing out how everything is just constructed out of words and images and semiotic signs, okay? And it is great at helping you design better communications. Right? But some people, principally academics in the West, but these ideas are increasingly spread, think that the phase that has followed postmodernism is metamodernism, which has a kind of a certain mood attached to it. The reason why metamodernism is a useful concept is because it seems to accurately describe a certain mood or set of values amongst younger consumers, younger millennials and Generation Z. So Mm -hmm. the point of metamodernism as an idea is that it kind of collectively describes things like people's feelings are very important, sincerity and authenticity are tremendously important. So while you've essentially now got two different forms of um, communication in play, which is a good thing to know about depending on who you're trying to target. Right? So if you're trying to target people of my age, like Generation X type of people, then go lay on the irony and feel free to poke fun and, you know, mock and that kind of thing. And make <clears throat> like the point of noticing how crap everything is, you know. If you're trying to market to people younger than that, then we can see what they want, right? They seem to be very keen on sharing our feelings, open communication as a way of building a better world, being sensitive to each other, lots of kind of humanist, unconditional positive regard, a commitment to happiness and optimism, and also somewhat of an ongoing scepticism of companies who still need to work work to win their trust. Mm. So you've essentially lot of semiotics that comes from one of these places but because brands and retailers are almost entirely concerned with semiotic signs like what do we do with our packaging or what do we do with our fixtures or displays in store then it continues to be relevant and will keep its finger on the pulse of what your consumers want next.
0: Yep, Yeah I mean it's really interesting particularly as you start to think about the generational differences and that Gen Z are coming up both in terms of customer percentages and colleague percentages in a retail business thinking about experiences in stores or experiences on websites and mobile apps etc mm. how do we build in a sort of simulation element in there such that it can play to what we design
1: yeah that's a really good question so thank you for bringing me back to the topic of simulation so it was um, like postmodernism. Like, so really, From by the time it infiltrated into general mass culture, really took, from a, took about from the 1980s onwards, really. And a, a decade which is now back in vogue again. Right? And it was a period where people were very excited about the future. Technology was advancing quickly. And it was a period where people were presented with simulations and learned to love simulations. So, you know, there was like the movie Tron. There was a TV, digital um, AI TV presenter, news presenter called Max Headroom on Channel 4 in the UK. So there's loads of excitement about this type of stuff. And people bloody left simulations. Max Headroom was a celebrity, even though he just existed as some green mesh, you know. And that has persisted for a long time. And you can see examples of it everywhere. For example, um, there's some discussion in the book I just wrote on retail about why... Um, Visitors to places like Disney prefer animatronic animals to real animals because animatronic ones are more interesting, is the short answer. They just do more things, you know. So there is this prevailing behaviour amongst consumers where if they're offered a choice between a real thing and a simulated thing, they'll pick the simulated one because the simulated one is cleaner, brighter, more fun, (laughs) does more things, represents the future and so on and so on. But also, if we're looking at younger consumers, we know that they have different values than their parents and older siblings and that they really value transparency, sincerity, directness, honesty, openness to communication. And none of those things line up fantastically well with, ooh, simulation and, you know, pointing out how things are not what they Mm. appear. You see what I mean? So it's not that it's not that the that, that these younger consumers don't, don't want simulation exactly, but you just need to be a lot more sensitive about how you go about it, you know. So if you're making like an entertainment product, like I almost wanna say, let's say we're we're building a kind of fantasy themed shopping experience mm. for people. Right? Then you want it to be sincere. Just let people have the moment and enjoy their fantasy. There's no need to crack sarcastic jokes and elbow them in the ribs, so to speak, with your marketing and go, "Look, we know this is ridiculous, <laughs> you know." <laughs> but just tolerate it. You would, you would do that. Would have been a good idea yeah. ten years ago. Now you don't need to. So the point is to just let people have their moment and find happiness where they may. You know, come on, uh, chill out already.
0: Uh, you know? Absolutely, and I think you know it's it's that sort of you know, perhaps an overused buzzword of authenticity, right? How do you actually just have mm. a a genuine conversation or lay out a genuine experience with someone without overly overly promoting it or overly selling it, right? Yeah. But I think there's a great, great section in your in your book, using semiotics in retail, which is diving into like as you say, sort of the use of animatronics versus real life experiences, which is a really interesting vibe and certainly when I first came across it we were talking about it previously. Really eye-opening because suddenly you recognise what a consumer is actually looking for. It's the it's the, the, the memory it's and so the experience rather than perhaps the, the thing itself.
1: Do you know what? I just want to, like, say a few words about parasocial relationships because I think it's really, really interesting. So as well as being a professional semiologist, blah, blah, book business and academic achievements... I'm also a lifelong video gamer, as you know. I've played video games for 35 years. And during that time, I've had occasion to sort of contemplate what people are doing when they play games and what they're getting out of it. Mm. And um, it seems like I keep up with the research as well about into gaming and a huge part, like people who don't play games think that gaming is all about going around shooting things because they're only familiar with Call of Duty or whatever (laughs) it is. (laughs) But if you look at what the the myriad ways that people play games, they're showing you what they really want, which is to craft and weave their own stories, tell stories that they invented. They want to explore identities using characters and avatars. And they also, it's clear that they kind of want to do a lot of relaxing in nature. and just generally looking around and, you know, experiencing a, a bit of joy in life, which can be hard to get to if you live in a, densely populated city and, the, you know, the buildings are melting in the heat and the pandemic's raging on and on and you've lost your job and all mm. of that sort of stuff, you know. So uh, it doesn't surprise me. I actually think that we need to credit our younger consumers with their bravery and tenacity in choosing to be optimistic and hopeful and to, to value and unapologetically value sincerity because the world's a tough place, you know. So it's quite a, it can be quite a courageous thing to kind of be wholesome and mm. optimistic. And sincere in an age where things are falling down around your ears and it'd be so much easier to just kind of be depressed or angry all the time. I think that's one thing that the kind of the younger generations are really doing well at the moment and we could do with keeping that in mind if we want to set create things like nice shopping experiences for
0: them. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really interesting thought because it's almost it's active escapism, right? You are saying I want to put myself in someone else's shoes, digitally mm-hmm. speaking, of course, and go on and do something that I wouldn't ever normally do in my normal arguably mundane life right mm. and I think mm. the more that as as retailers we can help consumers to perhaps escape particularly over the coming years where it's going to be increasingly mm. tough from multiple angles financial you know climate change is raging on covid etc cetera, etc cetera. and mm. actually how can we bring some of that escapism into a proposition into an experience that is offered in store or online? And how can we basically mm. serve consumers? It feels like a huge opportunity.
1: I think it is an opportunity. There are so many things I could say about this. Um, so as with any interesting problem, there's a few constraints in place, you know, and there are a few material realities that we want, might want to take into account, right? So one interesting avenue of discussion in retail, I'm sure you've been into many times, is um, what are we going to do with more you know, like if you look at the US, for example, there was a time when the shopping mall was the, the centre of adolescent life. You know, it was somewhere where even if you, you know, you were underage, whatever that means, where you live, you know, you could go there with your friends, yeah. hang out. Parents were happy enough. They might drop you off there and pick you up again, even, you know, it was considered to be a reasonably safe environment. There was tons of shopping opportunities and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. And then gradually, the mall's emptied out, you know, as much as anything because of Amazon and those kind of fast and convenient delivery services, you know. And so, um, where there's not enough enough customers, the shops closed down and so forth and so forth. And now you've got this kind of like these large structures, which what are we going to do with them, you know? So that's an interesting question all by itself. So it's an example of a kind of constraint, if you like. Like, what are we going to do with Mm. this space? So some people think that... um, in the future, malls so will kind of revive as uh, like self-care centres mm. that will be mainly centred around offering things like all the self-improvement stuff that people want to do. So doctors, you know, see a private doctor get an appointment yep. now, obviously gyms, educational services, that type of stuff, you know, self-development courses, professional networking and all those kinds of things, yep. you know. So that kind of stuff is, is, is a way to look into the future another way to look into the future is to look at what direct consumer brands are doing well because they represent somewhat of a threat to retailers and the pressure on the other side of that is um replenishment shopping yeah uh, where you can just set it up on amazon so that you'll get your preferred brand of tea bags delivered on a three monthly basis and you'll never have to think about it again it's disastrous for mainstream brands there's pressure at both ends of the the chain, if you see what I mean.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen the squeezed middle in retail for a number of years, and this is almost mm. the squeezed middle of the mm. value chain in a way.
1: Mm, that's right. So there's a quite a lot that semiotics can do for a brand that's kind of caught in the middle in that mm. situation, you know. Like at the bottom-up end of things, it's not too hard to make a brand more sort of visually appealing, feel more contemporary, fresher, more relevant to your usage occasion or whatever it is you're trying to say at the fixture. But at the same time, if you're willing to be ambitious with your brand, which I would hope you are, you know, not just at the level of making it look prettier, then semiotics will help you to think about what is it people actually need from, you know, I don't know, a prepared salad, let's say. Mm. You know what I mean? How can we um, make this align with the values that we know are shared amongst our uh, our upcoming consumers, So for a lot of brands, that's who they're trying to appeal to, you know. Absolutely.
0: It absolutely is. And it's, I mean, there's so many different directions we could take, of course, Rachel. But if someone is, you know, really inspired by our conversation today and recognising the opportunities with semiotics, with simulations and so on, how can they find out more? How can they get started on this journey?
1: I really want to help people who want to get started on this journey. Okay, because I seriously think that semiotics is something that improves when more people do Mm. it. Okay, it really helps to keep standards up, in my opinion. You know, there's a lot of people out there who are smart people and creative and would love to do semiotics for themselves. And up to now, there's been a lot of barriers in place. The only books that were in print were using very technical and academic language. And the field was sort of monopolised by just a few experts, you know so in my view um everybody can do semiotics just a matter of acquiring some tools mm. right so i wrote my first book i've been in this business 20 odd years but i finally wrote a book in 2020 right? so the book that was released in 2020 is called using semiotics in marketing and if you are a brand owner a retailer a marketer you can pick it up and dip in and it's packed full of exciting things that you can do mm. right but what really sets the book apart is that if you want to do semiotics for yourself, rather than just having me give you some some suggestions, um, this is the book you need. It is a complete handbook and guidebook, a crash course in doing semiotics and developing your own skills. So that's why people like yep. it. Right? The second book was published this year, 2022, and it is called Using semiotics in retail. And it's specifically for retailers first half of the book is that bottom-up stuff that we've been talking about using signs and symbols in your packaging at the level of fixture in your store design the second half of the book is about the future it's about society it's about generation z and what's coming next over the next 25 years okay so those are the two books that you need if after all of that you still can't get enough of me (laughs) you can find me on linkedin or at my website laws-consulting.co.uk
0: super that sounds fantastic. So I would absolutely encourage everyone to, uh, to, to grab a copy of using semiotics in marketing or in retail, or both. <laughs> and, and give Rachel a, a follow as well, to understand how you can go about looking at this both in the short term, in the sort of the tactical bottoms up approach, but also that sort of longer term, more expansive thinking approach as well. So Rachel, thank you so much for joining me here on the Retail Transformation Show. Really interesting conversation, and we could uh, we could have gone in so many different directions. I absolutely know. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much. It's been
0: great to have the time with you. Thanks. Cheers, Rachel. So a very intriguing conversation there with Dr. Rachel Laws. To find out more about Rachel, head over to the show notes page, which today are at obandco.uk slash 198. Also over on those show notes are three extra episodes for you to listen to next. Firstly, I think you'll love episode 191, number 191, with B. Earl, a Spider-Man comic writer. And there we spoke about how story opens up Retail's great adventure. And I think there's a real big link and big opportunity there with story and semiotics as well. So check out episode 191. Another aspect that is closely linked to semiotics is that of the metaverse. So check out episode 172, number 172 for an episode called Exploring What the Metaverse Means. And then finally... Why not check out episode 157, number 157, called The Collision of Gaming and Retail, where we catch up with Hilmar Peterson of EVE Online, the massive online game, which is reflective of the conversation that Rachel and I were having around simulations and also around gaming as well. So three great episodes there to check out. If you can't remember the single place to head over to right now, OB and Co., .uk slash 198 and do sign up for the retail transformation briefing too. It'll help keep your finger firmly on the pulse of the ever evolving world of retail and it will help you do that in a quick and easy way. obandco.uk slash 198 is where you need to sign up. Thanks so much for tuning in. Stay well, stay safe and I'll catch you in another episode very soon. Bye.